talk more practically a bit about um, the vision of the church, where I believe God is taking us. Um, it's no new vision, but it's a new application, I think, of what God's particularly put on my heart for the past seven years. And um, so I, I, I am really appreciating those prayers. <laughs> And I appreciate your prayers. I know people have been praying this week because I think this is a crucial time for us as a church. And, uh, but I want to start really by just thinking about Jesus and thinking about what did Jesus do? You know, we are followers of Jesus. Amen? That's what a Christian is. We follow Jesus. And uh, when you think about, and I've been trying to put my head in the mind of an early Christian, you know, or even a disciple, uh, one of these fishermen and just thinking a bit about what was it like for them when they met Jesus, and what did Jesus do? And then when you look at the early church, what was it like? Because in our kind of Western you know, mindset, in our modern situation, it's very different. We, uh, the way that we've come into church, or if you like myself, born into church, um, literally in the house and then in, in, in the building, and you know, that, it's a very, and we all have our different stories, but it's a very different kind of when you, when you try to just lay aside that thing, what is it that Jesus came to do? What did he do? Uh, you know, he, we know he came to die on the cross for the salvation of uh, us sinners. But what did he do? And so I just want to just spend a little bit of time, just go through some of these verses and just look at what he did. Because my, uh, my summary of this part of what I'm saying this morning is culminates in the fact when Jesus at the very beginning he calls people to be fishers of men and then he sends them to go make disciples and everything in the middle there was God's uh, or Jesus training people and equipping people in order in order for that to happen and that is the basis I think of my heart really and what I believe that the Spirit's saying to us as a church so I know if you've got your it will probably come on the screen I think Dave's on it But starting in uh, Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22, we read this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them immediately they left the boat and their father followed him so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry so um, what the first thing he does is he goes to find his followers in Luke it expands this a little bit talks about how Jesus came and he he um, called out to the disciples and they said cast your net in the other side I think this is um, if I can maybe I should check the scriptures on this one uh, this is uh, Luke's, just thinking about this, yeah, Luke 5. He says, um, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon asked the master, We told all night and took nothing. But nevertheless, he did it, and, they, and the, the nets were filled with fish. And Simon said, You know, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. And he said, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And um, that's the same situation, just recorded differently in, in Matthew. And so they knew who Jesus was. They knew that he was a man of miracle. They knew he was a teacher. They knew he was a rabbi. He had something special. And in those days, if you wanted to follow God, and actually the Galilean Jews were known for their, um, uh, their zealousness for the law, for, for, the, for God, and they... If, if, and they would go up to a rabbi and they would say, I would like to follow you, much like, the, you know, I think we might read sometimes when people came to Jesus. I want to follow you. And, and Jesus would say, birds of the, he- of the air have nests and the foxes have, have holes. I have nowhere to lay down my head. And um, in other words, he's saying, you're going to follow me. It's going to be tough. And, but in this situation, Jesus goes to these lowly fishermen and says, follow me. And, uh, and Jesus is about the business of finding people and telling them and declaring to them, you're my disciple, come follow me. And that's the first thing he does. He goes to find the people that he can disciple. They became his disciples. And um, 
And, and so this was an incredible thing for these men, and they put down their business, and they followed Jesus. And verse 23 says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so we see Jesus, he takes them on this ministry tour, we might call it, this itinerant ministry, preaching the gospel, teaching and declaring the kingdom with power. See, Jesus was a teacher of the kingdom. He was a, he was a preacher of salvation. And not just salvation in the sense, you know, you know, put your hand up if you want to receive Jesus type. He's saying, he's saying that's where it begins, maybe. But he's saying, this is what it looks like for when you are saved. So you get the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it looks like when you follow Jesus. And we see this uh, wonderful teaching of Jesus. And these disciples, they walked with him. They learned from him. And as we see a bit later, they, they were sent out from him. They did the things he did, even right to the point when if we jump to, the, to Acts 4, when we hear the story of Peter and John when they're walking to the temple and they're saying, um, and they see the, uh, the, the, the lame man and, this, and they, who asks for money says, I don't have any of that, rise up and walk. You might remember that um, miracle. And this is said of them, it said, they were, this is uh, the, the people around, saw their boldness, they perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And that, isn't that what a Christian is? And the biggest thing that concerns me, I don't mean this church, but globally in the church, is that that's not the focus for many people. That we are to be like Jesus. We're to become Him, not in God's, but to become like Jesus. So refer to a previous sermon, Christ in me, the power of God, the power of the church, that's you and I, in community because we are Jesus in community. And that people might be able to say, they, they might, they don't, people don't know Jesus to refer to him like they did with them because they saw these guys are like Jesus. We know what Jesus, these guys are like Jesus. And, and that's the end of the process where Jesus walked with them, discipled them, shared with them, fed into them, that they might become like Jesus. And isn't that what we exist for? Amen. Luke 6.13 says that Jesus went and prayed. The day came when he called his disciples. So there were many disciples and they chose from them 12. He chose from them 12 he named apostles. There were many followers of Jesus, but he chose 12. And with those 12, he was going to equip them to be the leaders of the church movement, if you like, after he went. In Luke 9, verse 1 to 6, he then takes these 12, he's been spending time with them, he's been feeding into them, and then he sends them out. And it says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from their feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You might remember Jesus turning up in his hometown, and they said to him, Oh, is this not the son of Joseph? And he left there because he could not do any miracles because they would not believe who he was. And he says, and he went to all the villages preaching the gospel. They're just being like Jesus. With the same power and authority that Jesus has given them. And he says, he's equipped these 12 disciples, fed into their lives. He said, you go. Now you go and do what I've been doing. And then we see them going and doing it. They're not going to do big stadiums. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But going into the villages, preaching, healing. We need to, this is the cry of my heart, we need to move into this. Because if there's anything that's lacking in the church, generally speaking, when I look at the Acts of the Apostles, when Paul says, I didn't come with great fancy words, with a great demonstration of my intellect or my ability to, to show you from the Scriptures, I came to see Christ crucified and the power of God released. And are we seeing that in our lives? I'm not seeing it in my life. 
Maybe you are, but I'm not. I would give anything to say five words that for God to do something in power than for me to spend an hour going through how wonderful the scriptures are. And I'm the one that the scriptures are wonderful. Don't take my words the wrong way. But when you read Paul, that was his emphasis. The power of God to be released. And this is what the disciples did. This is Jesus' heart for his people. Take on what I did and you go do it. And then we carry on in this great um, journey of Jesus. See, the Christian life, just go to chapter 9, verse 23. Um, This must have been incredible. The The 12 coming back and saying, Lord, this is incredible. People are... Um, are being healed. We're seeing the power of God come. We're seeing the kingdom starting to come about. And then he feeds the 5,000, which is even more incredible. And then we see um, Peter coming to this amazing understanding and recognizing you are the Christ of God, the revelation that you are God. That, that you can just imagine the excitement growing and growing and growing. This is, we suddenly got to this amazing place. That's how I would feel. And then Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, as he said in that just previous to that, the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. In other words, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me in death and suffering. And it's what's interesting, if you look at it, you look at when Jesus, people are following Jesus, and then Jesus turns around and says, we'll probably see a bit later on, unless you hate your mother and father, or if you, unless you love your, me more than your mother and father, you have no part in me, and many people left him. Because discipleship is understanding there is a challenge. There's a wonderful invitation into the following of Jesus, but there's a challenge, and we have to embrace that challenge. Amen. Luke 10, verses 1 to 12. He now sends out 72 in pairs, the same as he did the 12. And when you see this pattern, teaching, equipping, sending out the 12, Teaching, equipping, sending out the 72. And he's training them, he's equipping them, and he's teaching, he's preaching, he's telling them, this is what it looks like when someone's saved. When someone's saved, you will see that their life will change, they will become like me. When someone's saved, you will see that they will no longer commit adultery, they will not even uh, lust after another woman or another man, whatever the situation. When someone is saved, they will find themselves at prayer because that's the life of the Christian. You read the Sermon on the Mount from, I think it's chapter 5, isn't it, of Matthew? And you will see that's what it looks like when someone's saved. And so he's teaching them, he's equipping them in order that one day he's not going to be around. Luke 11, we see the, the Lord's Prayer, or otherwise known as the Disciples' Prayer, and he's teaching them how to pray in this wonderful um, format of a prayer which is so easy to teach people how to pray. That's what he did. Let me teach you how to pray, or more that, let me teach you how to teach someone else how to pray. Luke 14, if anyone comes, this is 26 to 27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If we equate a disciple with a saved Christian, which we should, that's ever so challenging. Ever said that to your wife or your husband or your, you know, your children? Well, don't say it to your children, they won't understand, will they? I've got to love Jesus more than I love you, Jenna. The great cost of being a disciple. Jesus was not afraid of losing followers. 
He was into this business of raising up a generation of people that were like him, that will raise up a generation that are like Jesus, who will raise up another generation that are like Jesus. And we need to be a generation like Jesus. In John 17, we see this wonderful prayer, and I wish you know we had time to spend in it because it's, I don't know, if maybe I can just recommend you do that in your own time, but you just spend time reading this prayer. But let me just say this. In verse 18, I think it is 18 to 21. As you sent, this is Jesus praying for us. As you sent me into the world, no, Jesus was sent. He was the first missionary. (laughs) As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, that is, the disciples had in front of him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. A great prayer of Jesus. How do you respond to that, man? Jesus is praying for me, not just then, but now. Oh, that they might know. Jesus has been sent of the Father for the world. Amen. Matthew 28. This is where we see Jesus, the culmination of Jesus' ministry. You could also go to the end of Mark if you prefer that. But Matthew 28. Jesus gathers after the cross, the resurrection. He gathers his disciples and he says this, and Jesus came to them, verse 18, 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He had completed his mission, as it were. Not only has he taken the price for our sins, but he's, he's equipped and trained a bunch of, of people that were, not, most of them unlearned. He had equipped them, he had discipled them, he had loved them, he had challenged them, and now he's ready to send them. And he says, now go make disciples. And the implication there, if you take John 17, is go make disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples until I return again and I will see the disciples of Jesus. I, when you look at the Gospels, um, we, there's no mention there about how you do church and what you, you know, the structure of all these things. It's the cry of, I've got to make disciples. I've got to see people saved. I've paid the price. Now you go and do the same. Yeah. It's such a simple thing that Jesus came to do, but so complex in its deepness spiritually, of course, But it came that we might be those that are sent. And what is the church but a people of God called to make disciples? And we see this as we go on into Acts. And and little bits to put here. He didn't say, right, go... Thank you, Tony. I've got a bit of a cold. You have to forgive me. Thank you. Acts chapter 2. But before that, he says, but wait. I'm sending you, but wait. Wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to fill you up and it's going to send you out. He, I should say. Wait for the promise of the Father, the power of God. And we see in Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church, the, the united hearts, united by the Holy Spirit, and in 2, verse 42 to 47, says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The continuation of the teaching of Jesus to make disciples, to the breaking of bread and prayers, the remembrance of what Jesus did, and the continual recognition we can do nothing but through knowing Jesus, through prayer, through worship, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Before that, what happened? The Holy Spirit came and what happened? They went out. They didn't get together and say, oh, we should have a worship meeting where we can come and just enjoy what just happened to us. Something in them just, just stirred up and they could only but get out of their room and, and just praise God. And I don't know what happened, but the words of God came out through the different tongues and people heard the good news, said, what's happened? Are you drunk? What's gone, what's gone on? And then Peter stood up and he preached his sermon. Was it 3,000 people got saved? But the thing in this passage here is that they then just lived together amongst people in their homes. They met in the temple area, which was the main public space that they were used to. Later on, you see that Paul was finding other public spaces uh, in, a, in a hall of, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He just uh, would meet in a hall and he taught, I think, in Ephesus for two years and just taught. And what he, if you read it, it says he took his disciples with him. Paul was discipling people, teaching people the way of Christ. And it goes on, if, if, if we continue on in um, Acts 4. Peter and John, where they go to the temple, and that's the bit where they say, you can tell you've been with Jesus. They're then... Uh, warned not to do it and they go back to their home where they have a home meeting with a bunch of people and they pray and they pray up you probably know this it's been mentioned recently where part of their prayer was grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'll tell you something. I'm convinced that if the Holy Spirit is in us, you cannot deny the need to tell others about Jesus. I think it's impossible. Something's wrong. If there is something in us that doesn't recognize, we need to tell people about Jesus. Now, I know that there are things like, well, how? I don't know how and all that. That's fine. But you, if you deny there's any desire in you, I've got to tell Jesus then something I think is wrong. I have absolute confidence that we are not in that category. John 13 verse 35 said this. Oh, interestingly, it says, I think in Acts 4, uh, this, um, they, after they arrested Peter and John, after they did that miracle, it said this, this is verse 3 or 4, um, and they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's just the men. Just the men, 5,000. So let's imagine 10,000 people. Can you imagine what was going on in those days? How did, you know, if we were to deconstruct how we do church and just think what was happening in those days, I know there was a great move of God, but something was going on where people, I think, were just radically changed and believed to God and just went about, you've got to come and hear about this Jesus, what Jesus has done, the simplicity of the church at that time. I'd love to have experienced it. I'd love to just go and be transported back and just to the simplicity where people were just living like Jesus and, and inviting, going to their name, saying, you must come and hear, like the woman at the well. When Jesus went and spoke to the woman at the well, what did she do? He goes, Went and said, you come and hear this man that knew everything about me. The power of people who were just being like Jesus and open to sharing their testimony. See, Paul had this same attitude. See, John 13 verse 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, I'm equating that to, you've been with Jesus? By this will all men know you are my disciples. What's this about you? There's something about you which is different. That's, that's what that sense is. And the next part of the verse is this. If you have love for one another, which is a wonderful way, Bev, to start this talk, to hear about um, 13. Love for one another. And when people see that, they see Jesus. But you've got to recognise 
if we're all in our nice little meetings and there's no one there who doesn't know Jesus, well, they're never going to see Jesus. But what if they came into our meetings, whatever you want to call them? 1 Corinthians verse 9, 22. This is Paul. See, Paul, I think, had this same recognition. I exist on earth to make disciples. And he said this, Although I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." I wonder whether how many people here, I don't know, I will run round the park um, uh, if it will save some. I will go to a book club and read a book if it will save some. I will go and I will sit in the cafe and I will talk to strangers if I could just save some. That's what Paul's saying. I wonder what we're willing to do to change our comfortable lives if we could just save some. 2 Corinthians 5.15 For the love of Christ controls us constrains us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him for for their sake died and was raised back in the old testament you might know isaiah i think it's six or nine where he has this heavenly vision and he sees god and he's overawed and he says woe is me i am a man undone and God comes and the angel takes a hot coal and touches his lips and says, I've cleansed you. It's a picture of the cross. And then he overhears God speaking and he hears God say, who will go? And he says, send me. I will go. Is there a cry in our hearts to be sent? Send me, Lord, I'll go. I'll go, I'll do it. See, that's the pattern of Scripture. I can't see anything else in there that says that there is another option that says all we need to do is just abide our time and enjoy ourselves together and, you know, I'll, I'll study the Bible. I, I, don't, I, can't, I just can't live with it. There's something in me that is like, unless people are knowing Jesus, then why am I here? And I'm not an evangelist. I want to say that. I'm not an evangelist. If I was an evangelist, there'd be many people that I can say to you, look, all these people that have been saved through... <laughs> I'm, I'm not, but there's a cry in our hearts, isn't there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen. So can you feel the stirring of your soul? See, I, having this thought, the society is so noisy, and I don't mean volume of sound of TVs and radios. It's so noisy that it crowds out God's heart's cry. Who's going to go? And I confess that I fill in a lot of the noise myself. It's, it is hard in this world we are in. I'd love to live in a field. In a tent. See, I guess the, the cry here is, how are we responding to the command of God to go into all the world and make disciples? It's a command. How are we responding to the great command to go? How are we doing that as a church? If it's the cry of God, if it's the work of Christ to make disciples, and then he says, right now, your turn, go, make disciples, and I will be with you till the very end. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be in you, working through you. you just got to work out your salvation in fear and trembling nonetheless, Paul says in Philippians. See, the disciples followed the call to go to make disciples. Paul was convinced about the call to make disciples. The early Christians, we see the principles living out their life purely by the evidence of the explosion of the church because the normal Christian life essentially reveals itself, and I might be oversimplifying it, but in the desire to make disciples. It's about being fruitful in that way. David Platt says, proclaiming the love of Christ 
is the overflow of sharing in the life of Christ. In other words, if you're sharing in the life of Christ, Jesus is in you, you cannot stop the overflowing love of Christ. And that's not just words, that's action, because love is an action, isn't it? See, being a disciple and making a disciple or making disciples in the DNA of every Christian. And I'm, and I'm suspecting that you can feel it in there. You know it's right. You know it. We all know it, don't we? There's so many things that are just grabbing our attention in this day and age that we're in, but we know it. And when we've been involved in someone just making a move towards Jesus, there's a joy that comes up in us. And we're like, oh, I love more than that. But often over, this is my personal experience, over the next couple of weeks, suddenly the enemy in the world just boom. But we know that we've got to make disciples. See, the problem with, I think, as the society that we're in, it breeds a consumer attitude to everything. An entertainment-based thing. You know, it's, it's self-driven. Uh, people go to church to get from it what they need rather than being church on God's mission to make disciples. Of course, we get blessings from God. Amen. I'll have everything, Lord. Just give me everything. But they're byproducts of love, living for God. As the old hymn, we all know this, I think many of us will. My goal is God himself, not joy nor peace, not even blessing, but himself, my God. is his to lead me there, not mine, but his at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. What concerns me so much is that church becomes a place that makes people feel better about their lives. I don't see that in the Bible. If anything, the early church didn't get it better. Of course they did in the joy of the Lord and knowing God, but when you're tossed out of your home and you're kicked out of Rome, like if you read the great stories of Priscilla and Aquila, they're kicked out of Rome, but God knew that they would meet Paul at work. And Paul discipled them. And they read this story. There's, there's lots more you can look at this. Now they go away. He disciples Apollos, um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And then he takes him with them. He's their disciples. And then Apollos comes along. And Apollos goes to Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila, a disciple Apollos. And who's pa- Apollos, if you know your New Testament? He's a great preacher of God. Probably the writer of, of Hebrews, that's what I think. Amen. Praise God. Because a man went to work and he discipled and he started to talk to a couple that were kicked out of Rome in the same place. And they became fundamental um, uh, couple in the ministry of the kingdom of God. Oh Lord, just to do that. See, I think it comes down to this. How are we responding to the command of God to make disciples? And I think this is the greatest challenge of our generation. It's so easy just, just to build a church. Let's get a nice big band. And I'm not criticizing anyone. Please don't. But we could just get a nice big band and we can just enjoy our time together. Let's dim the lights, everyone. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm against that or for that, but I don't mind either way. But you understand what I'm saying. We can do all these things and build our nice little place. But in the meantime, people are dying out there because when I go to work, I'm not even thinking about Jesus or I'm not talking about Jesus or I'm not even thinking, Lord, I'm on mission for you. I need to go and see people saved, even if it's just to see them walk one step closer to Jesus. And I'm living my life around basically what entertains me, not what entertains the Lord, for want of another word. I think this is a great challenge for us to be church on God's mission for his purposes, to make disciples and make disciples, not church sitters, not pew fillers. God forbid anyone is a pew filler. See, the vision of this church, I believe, is essentially a response to this cry. It's not a new vision. Seven years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, I asked him a question. I said, Lord, why are we talking about discipleship? Why are we talking about this? And he said, because I'm sending you out. Seven years ago, the Lord put that on my heart. I don't mean to be emotional, but... And I'm patiently waiting. We've lived it with others, Taryn and Angela, Constantine and Lena, seeing what God has been doing when we just invite people in. It's been wonderful. But there are many reasons, and I'm not looking back and saying that the last seven years are wasted. Don't think that. I think that sometimes you have to be patient to see what the Lord is doing. But um, 
I believe fundamentally I have no other vision for this church. I'm just sharing with you the same vision. The only difference is, is that I believe that God is calling us now that we need to change in order to see the vision come a reality. Not just for me, not just for Jana or anyone else. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. But it's based on that heart. How are we responding to the Great Commission? How are you making disciples? And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm, it doesn't make any difference. I've only been saved for a, for a few months or years. It doesn't make any difference. The cry of God is for everyone to make disciples and to find our place in God's mission. And this is what I want to share with you. And maybe a bit of background, really. You know, our, the mission statement is, and I've just changed it just a little bit, but it means the same thing. A church family, communities on mission, making disciples. Seven years ago, this picture in my mind, I can still hear it in my head. The Lord said, I'm sending you out. And it was groups of people that were in the community, being Jesus in the community together. We weren't just having Bible studies in people's homes. It was people's hearts and minds were fixed on the idea that we need to tell others, we need to invite them in. We cannot afford the luxury of just waiting our time. But we need to invite people in. And I... A few months ago, as I was posed this question, what's happening about this vision? And then he challenged me a couple of weeks later. It was the weekend of Dave and um, Sue was here. And I was in a meeting, and very clearly, um, it came to me this phrase that the Lord had spoken to me a couple of years before. It's not a phrase, it's a verse. And I can't remember how to say the verse, but it's this. We need a new wineskin for the new wine. God wants to pour out new wine, doesn't he? He loves to do a new thing, amen? And I want to talk really because a new wineskin is we need to think a bit about church. We need to think a bit about this wineskin. And because what came to me was that we have this shape of church and this vision for seven years of why is it not fitting in the church? I mean, shoehorning it in and some of it getting in and maybe kicking it in and it's not working. Say, Lord, what's wrong? Am I wrong? Because if this isn't a vision for the church, then I need to go. Because I'm the wrong person, but the Lord didn't tell me to go. Just letting you know that. (laughs) Um, But this new shape. God's timing is always perfect. This one's vision is correct. Thanks, Alan. But this is what it comes down to. The shape of church that we have had, which is not wrong, God has blessed. Amen. Praise God. But what God has doesn't fit that shape, and the shape of this church needs to change. And that's what I want to talk a bit about now, really. But let's, I just before I get practical, I want us just to pray. Maybe just to sit before the Lord, and, um, and then I'll, I'll share more. But Father, I just want to say this, Lord, this is your church. It's not my church. And you, Lord, need to show every person the vision of your heart. And I'm willing, Lord, to get out of the way. I'm willing, Lord, for you to do what you want to do. I just want to serve you, live for you, enjoy you. I want others to know you. So, Lord, just, just as we just take some of these things in, Lord, and will you just warm our hearts to the Spirit? Lord, I don't want this to be emotional. I think it's, it's got to be spiritual, Lord. So, Lord, I just want to take a little bit of a break and ask you, just as we sit in silence, maybe, that we might just be open to you and say, Lord, will you just speak to me? Will you help me to see through maybe all sorts of things, but to see you? Amen, Lord.
Amen. <clears throat> so I want to just share with you really, which is a, combina a culmination of uh, discussions with elders and deacons. We've been together sharing about these things and thinking, okay, well, what does this mean? And um, essentially, I just want to, I don't know if, I've, I've done a little booklet which you can read later, so what I'm really going to share now, you can go away and you can read and you can consider, and, uh, and I'm suggesting that tonight um, we make available time where we can pray, and also time where if people have questions, and there is a box at the back, you can write it down on a piece of paper, if you don't want to ask it um, openly, put it in the box and I'll answer it tonight, but... So I realise that there may be many questions, and this, although this has been in our heart and mind for, for um, and this has been discussed over, this is something that's been, uh, been living in for a while, and I realise that for many of you this is very new. So I'm aware of that. So don't be worried about asking questions, even if you think it's a silly question. So, but, um, so I, I'm going to be a bit practical now, and I... And, um, and I, I trust that you will understand the heart of it. Um, and uh, so there we go. So, you know, as I've mentioned already, we, we need to think about this new wineskin. And it is a response to the Great Commission. And this is our vision statement. A church family of communities on mission making disciples. Essentially, what's different to what's been there is the tense. Before it was a, a, a church family sending communities on mission to make disciples, um, I believe that just making it simpler and more present tense is, is, would be beneficial for us to remember it. And I, I just want to explain it because I want to start from the end because the goal of our heart and our lives is the glory of God. Let me just say that's a given. Um, and the way we glorify God is to be obedient to Him. So... Um, and if we were to talk about, well, what is the focus, the goal, the end point of this, of the vision? What are we, what are we here for? Um, it is to make disciples. And, um, and making disciples is, uh, um, implies that we need to be in touch with people that don't know Jesus, as well as it implies that we need to be discipled ourselves. We, we are disciples of Jesus. We need to grow in God. But we need to go and make disciples and make disciples. That means that we need to equip people and we have to spend time with people. We, we need to be about God's business of reaching out as well as helping people walk their journey with the Lord. And uh, so we have to ask ourselves, we have to think, well, how, how is what we're doing helping us make disciples? How is the cafe helping us make disciples? And so in that instance, we can say, well, is it getting us in touch with people that don't know Jesus? Amen. Well, we can see where that sits. How are our prayer meetings helping us make disciples? Well, we, we need to focus on the Lord. That's where, you know, how are our um, community groups and all these kind of things, we have to ask this question. So making disciples has got to be, um, we have this saying, what makes the boat go faster, which I think is based on a book uh, by an Olympic rower. And it was this whole idea that everything, every decision they made, they asked themselves, how, did, for this rowing, uh, Olympic rowers, every decision they made, everything they did leading up to competition, they said, well, how does that make the boat go faster? How does what we do as a church help us make disciples? And um, so that's, that's why that, I'm putting that first as we go through it. The second thing, communities on mission, is in our goal of, of making disciples, I believe this new shape, when we think about this new wineskin, um, has much to do with what we do together in our midweek groups. And the reason is, is because there is a great power in our community or in our fellowship together when we recognize not only um, that we have a mission, that is to make disciples, but by doing that together is the most powerful expression of church. It's not what we do on our own, but it's what we do together which is most powerful. And we see, hopefully, you can read a bit more uh, <clears throat> later. That was what, why Jesus sent them out two by two. Ecclesiastes also says, doesn't it, about two or three. You know, um, uh, is it where two walk together? Uh, is that Ecclesiastes? Anyway, you can look at that. Um, this, this uh, John 13, 35, by this will all men know you're my disciples because you love one another implies community. It, when you look at the early church, they, were in, they went from house to house. They were households a lot of the time. Households was a, a mid-sized, 30-odd kind of number. It was where a lot of church life was, 
was, uh, was happening. Even today, as Daniel will talk about India, probably next week we'll mention the, the natural process of uh, these house groups that facilitate a phenomenal growth of the church in India, um, as we know from China. See, we may do mission on our own, which can lead to some you know, wonderful joys, but um, often it's tired, it's, you can get tired, it's lonely, it's a hard work because you're on your own, but when you add just one other with you. One of the greatest joys that we had in our community group, in our missional community, was the fact that there were three couples that were dedicated to one another and to the mission. And it's when you're on your own doing things, it becomes very lonely when you feel like you're the only one. So that's why, you know, if you like, if we're going to make disciples, then the vehicle, the best vehicle we have as church is, is communities. Mid-sized, mid-week communities. Uh, I'd say mid-week, it may not be mid-week, but um, some might get together on a weekend, that's what I mean. A church family, we are still one church family. There's something so wonderful when the whole church gathers together to stir up one another, to encourage one another with stories. I was really encouraged the last time when, in fact, um, when you said about your, the, your island trip, Pat, when you talked about going on that, that's the kind of story that stirs me up. I was in the shops and they started talking about Jesus. I'm like, yes, that's what it's all about. And I'm like, well, if you can do it, Pat, why can't I go? I don't have to go to Laura Ashley, but I can maybe go somewhere and think, you know, to hear stories and to be, but also to worship together, to hear the word of God, to inspire one another, to hear the praises of God's people. There are many things you cannot do in a small group that you can do in a large group like this. And that's the pattern of scripture as well in the early church. They met in the public forum. I think as Pete was talking this morning on a WhatsApp group about church being really about a public forum as opposed to the house home to home. Both of these things are very important. It's a place where we can do so much together as well. And so this is, the, this is our, our vision. This is the vision statement. Again, it's, this is seven years old. Just want to make a point about that. This is what God has set in, I believe, fundamentally, in the, in written into the very DNA of this church. He intends to do it. And, um, but we need to step into this. Not just me. Not just me and Jana, not just me, Jana, Tano and Angela and Constantine Lena, as we have done, but all of us as a whole church need to step into this. I believe that that is fundamental. This is where we're at as a church, where we're talking about a new, a new shape, or as we call it, a new wineskin. And essentially, the new wineskin, and this is a bit I think many of us might find we have to get our head around, because really it's a new perspective on church. And um, it may not be that you will find much practical difference. We'll still be coming to church on a Sunday, enjoying the power and presence of the Lord. I'm believing God's going to pour out something new because we're being obedient to his vision. And so we, we will see a greater sense of God's presence and power. That's my logical um, conclusion. But this is how we see church. We, uh, we, have, we tend, tend to come and see church primarily through the context of the Sunday gathering and we... We recognize one another as, oh, you're part of church. Oh, here's someone who's new to church because we see them particularly on a Sunday morning. When someone's not coming on the Sunday morning, we wonder whether they're still part of church. And that's, again, I'm not, this isn't a criticism. This is just an observation. This is how generally we do church. But what, and, and, so, and what happens is once we come to church, say, oh, would you like to come to our community group? Eugene and Rachel come to our community group. It's great to have them. You know, we, we, they came to church and then they come into our community group. Fantastic. They even pretend to have great food on Friday when I'm not there, just to taunt me. I knew it, I knew it. But we, so we come into these community groups, and, and the new wineskin, the new shape has to be something like this. See, we have to see church through the context of our communities on mission that also meet together on a Sunday. Right? Now, this might take a bit of time to sink in. And feel free to put questions down. You see, it might be that there will be many people that we won't be seeing here on a Sunday because they're not yet. They may have come into our homes and they've come into our community groups. They're inquiring about the things of God. Maybe they're even starting to believe. 
but it's not because they're coming on a Sunday that we're suddenly saying, praise God, look what God is doing because they're here on a Sunday. No, look what God is doing because they're opening up their hearts to God and they're sitting with people having coffee. Uh, you know, we're starting to celebrate the making of disciples, not the worshipping congregation. And so we're seeing this great... Um, this is why it's a difference of perspective. It's about recognizing that we see belonging and togetherness in two ways. We see it from the fact that on a midweek, I know that I'm, I'm meeting with the likes of Drew and Hannah in our community group or whoever it might be, and, and I'm enjoying that fellowship and that mission together. But at the same time, when I come here, I get to see others. I'm like, praise God, this is my church family. I might be seeing these guys on the week by week, but this is my church family. So we still enjoy this wonderful time together, but we recognize, and this is where it comes down to, we say, and I say to you this morning, if we was to say, well, what makes me a part of the church here? I say, you've got to be in a community group, whatever we're going to call them. You've got to be in community. You've got to be on mission. You've got to be discipled. You've got to be growing with others. You've got to be eating together, enjoying fellowship with one another. That's what it means to be part of the church. If you just want to attend and turn up on a Sunday, no one's going to stop you at the door and check whether you're on a community group. You can attend and you can attend and attend as much as you like. But I tell you this morning that that's not what the heart of God is for this church. He wants us in on his mission, in group, fellowshipping with one another, walking with one another. Now, I, I'm aware that this might be difficult for people. One, because it's difficult to get their head around it. But this is part of why I think this is important for us to really get our head around this. See, often in church, we make a certain priority about something. And often that priority can be fellowship, the community of believers. The fellowship is the old word for community. We use community more these days, I think. It's that sense of, you know, the, the goal is, is fellowship. It's about getting in amongst the believers as a church, particularly represented on a Sunday morning. And it's about encouraging one another, growing together, just supporting one another as Christians. And I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a wonderful part of what it means to be church. But often in that situation, mission gets a bit left behind. The focus is on community, mission gets left behind. But when mission is on community, uh, on the focus, community happens along the way. Because community is the means, the vehicle by which we do these things. And when you're meeting and you're eating together and you're enjoying fellowship and you're talking through the various challenges that you've had or you're sharing about the joys and the situations that you're in, that you're praying for the, the person that you've been spending time with who doesn't know Jesus and you're doing that, you cannot do that without fellowship, community. And so this isn't about ditching a whole load of stuff. It's actually about bringing greater stuff in, if you like, or more stuff in. I'm trying to think of the better words for it. But, and as I say, although we're meeting in these groups, and then when we come on a Sunday, it's the overflow of what God is doing in the, in the meeting, uh, in our midweek meetings. It's about hearing the stories about what God has been doing as, as we've been reaching out or as we're hearing in the, in the smaller groups, because you realize on a Sunday not everyone can participate, but when you're in a smaller group, everyone can participate and everyone should participate. It's the wonderful benefit of smaller groups. You suddenly think, do you know what? Wow, this, I think you've got a prophetic gifting. Do you know what? I think you could really teach the scriptures. Do you know what? You, have you noticed that such is always doing the hospitality? Maybe because we're starting to see the gifts surface. And people are being equipped and encouraged and challenged in the small group setting. That's why we have small groups now. <clears throat> so these midweek communities, oh yeah, this to make a point about this again. The main church gathering remains a fundamental part of church life. A really important part of church life. Midweek communities, not just a Bible study. When you're doing life, I don't like this term, it's a bit of a cliche. But when you're spending time, you're eating together, you're doing mission together, you're praying together, you're teaching through the scriptures together, sharing your life with people that don't know Jesus, that's more than a Bible study. And the term that I've used over the last seven years is this term, missional communities. And so if you hear that and you'll read that in here, that's what it's talking about. And what is a missional community? It is a mid-sized group 
of people that are on mission together, that love one another, that are inviting people into it, that are eating together, studying together, and challenging one another, growing together, being church together in the community. And this is the kind of thing each missional community will operate really in free spaces. If you wanted to, well, what is the difference between this and the community group? It depends what your community group does. In our community group, we have one week where we do Bible study and some kind of discipleship element. And the other time we have a social where we want to invite people who don't know Jesus. And we just eat together and play games. That's what we do every other week. But every missional community and missional, you can read about what that means in here. I won't go into that now. But it essentially means being on God's mission to make disciples. It occurs in free spaces. So when we had our community group, our missional community, we had the mission really was the school gate and invited people in to our social space, which was essentially our, uh, our home, and we ate food together. And then we started doing Bible studies. Uh, that was our discipleship space, and we actually came here in the end because we had too many kids. We couldn't fit in the house. So we did Bible studies in the back hall, and people came to the Bible studies. And so you see how it exists, and so we have to ask ourselves, when we think about, you know, these, these groups, this, this new shape of church, and we think about, uh, you know, I, I need to be in a, in a group, and the group will exist in three different spaces, mission, social, and discipleship. And each person, I don't know if you can see that, you probably can't, every person can find a place in that. Not everyone is an evangelist, or I've called it a gatherer. I like the word gatherer. Lena's a good example of gatherer. If you, if you get, Lena will just bring them in. Um, and there are many other people like that. They just find people. They just invite people and they come along. They're gatherers. But I'm not a gatherer. Um, but I might, be, I might be one of the leaders or I might be a, one of the teachers or I, I, I just love to pray for people. I'm a good listener and I, I find my place in the mission of God. So it's not that I, oh, I don't do the mission, I do the teaching. No, we're all part of this together. We all have our place in it and you will find your place in that group because... You're not trying to be something that you're not. You're looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, what is my place in your mission? Service carers and, and more. I mean, you can add to, that, um, add to that list. And in order for this to happen, and one of the things that I've learned over the last seven years, and what's very different now, is that in order to change the shape of church, you have to focus on change. Now that might sound a bit obvious to you, but actually um, one of the things that there's two ways you can say, well look, we're just going to organically kind of move towards that kind of shape. And we've tried that over the last seven years and it's not happened. But so a focus on change is to say, right, as a church, we just need to just, let's just stop and take a breather right now. Let's just stop. The Lord's still moving. We can still love the Lord together and worship and come on Sundays and worship the Lord. But what I'm, what I'm um, really believe that, and this is, again, not just my own thoughts, but is that by having a time when we stop all of our community groups, Bible studies, Sunday evenings, except the first Sunday of the month for prayer and worship, um, ladies' prayer meeting, carry on. There's no reason why that needs to stop. Where we just stop and we say, let's just have a new program where we just stop, and each one of us is praying, seeking the Lord, but as a church, we're doing certain things. And this does a couple of things. I've, uh, I've got four, four points. First thing is this, a simple program to focus. One of the things that, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, look, guys, we need to do this, we need to do this. It's like, yeah, John, that's great, but I've got no time because I'm so busy at church. Well, that's, it's dead from the very beginning. So having a simple program as we move into this season to seek the Lord personally, for us to pray as a church, for us to gather, and also to do this. It's actually, if, if we're saying, we need to start thinking about how we're making disciples, that implies we need to position ourselves amongst unbelievers. That might mean that you need to invite your neighbours around for a coffee, or you need to go and join a club, or, uh, you know, there's a book club at the moment already, I think Hannah Smith organises, or maybe you go running around the park with Daniel, um, and your, your goal is that to have a conversation with people. 
Or maybe it's uh, uh, when you're getting on the bus, you're, you're asking God for opportunity. Whatever your personality is, the question is, how are you responding to the Great Commission? And I'm thinking about this myself. How am I going to respond in this time to the Great Commission? What am I going to do differently in order that I may meet with people in order to develop relationship? It's not a sales technique. We're not there to close the deal as quick as possible and have a count up at the end how many people have been saved. It's about God. I'm in the position. Again, I'll refer to a sermon a couple of weeks ago. Listen to it online. Christ in me, the power of God. Everything I said in there is valid right now in this. It's about creating time. And that's why we, we need to have a time where we just create space for people to try things and pray into it and say, Lord, I'm available. I've got time now. Because no one at the front is going to say, you need to come to this, or you need to do that. Or... And the other, another thing in that time is that we have an opportunity to learn as a church. Well, what does this really mean? How do we do this? Because it's not just doing the same things. If it was doing the same things, then we would have done it. But we have to think a bit about what's different. What do we have to learn on how to do these groups? What kind of things do we... What does it mean to make a disciple? to disciple someone. What does it mean? How do we lead that? How, what, how are groups going to need to be run if that's going to be different to what we're doing at the moment? And also we need to train leaders um, who are going to lead these groups. And that is open to anyone, not just those that are currently leading groups. That's open to anyone to be involved in. And you can come to that and you can, you know, at the end of it, you can decide whether you lead a group or not. It's entirely up to you. It's about us investigating what it means. But also over this time, I think it's really important that we gather in the week for fellowship. And what we envisage there is that every Wednesday we have food, we can pray, we can hear the word and maybe chat about what was spoken on Sunday, but a time where we can just gather for fellowship and just remain focused. This is what we're, this is what we're doing. <clears throat> and after that, we intend really to launch new midweek groups as missional communities. And in all these things, we trust the Lord. And in the book, there's some scenarios that you can read. There's examples. I'm not going to go through them now. Um, but essentially, we have to then start to think a bit about, okay, <clears throat> how are we going to start to run these groups, launch these groups? There are many. Who's going to lead these groups? Um, how many groups will we have? I'm, I'm very content to say, Lord, at that point, I've got no... Um, I, I'm not going to create a strategy and start picking on people. Lord, I want you to raise up people. I want you to stir people's hearts. I want to see what you're going to do. And of course, we'll have some practical kind of response to that. But um, there are certain things in this vision where God has to come and do something. And so we need to pray about that. So, but the, finally, on, on this, just to end on this, this is our response, that we have to pray. We have to listen to the Lord. You need to listen to the Lord for yourself. You need to be convinced by this. And you need to ask. I think ask the Lord what he wants for you. Ask questions if you have them. Don't go to bed at night, you know, really worried about things. Ask questions. You don't have to just ask me. You can ask Daniel and the elders. You can ask the deacons. They've all been involved in those kind of conversations. Ask when we meet, um, you know, at various times. Just come and speak and ask questions, ask, ask, ask. Don't just let these things just, uh, you know, it's important that we move forward. And I, I want to just end on this. You know, okay, change is always challenging, whether we're used to change or not, but the most important question is why? Why change? There's many other churches doing what we do, and they're successful, so why have we got to be different? Why, why have we got to change, John? Um, and, and I think that's a really important question. Um, but, and this is what I believe we're, why we need to change, because fundamentally God is requiring this of us. Uh, I've referred to another sermon. The cloud has moved on. Amen. The cloud has moved on. And, I, and I, I'm absolutely convinced, and I humbly just put this before you, but you know, as I, as I say, I'm not up here to say that I know everything. I just know what I know. And, I, and the Lord has deposited me a, a, a humbling confidence that I cannot go back. I can just see the way ahead. And I'm excited about it. I'm a bit nervous about it. I've got a lot of questions about it. But I'm so glad that I can get to do it with you guys. Amen. But 
So it's about what God wants. This is not because this is my preferred view of church. It's not because this is we've had a vote on what kind of church we want. It's because, uh, or it's not even because, oh, I've read this book and someone else is doing this thing. Let's try that. See if that works. None of that. It's because God has put this in their heart and he will not take it away. For seven years, he will not take it away. So God requires it. And he will help us through change and he'll help us to find new ways of doing things. And, um, and he will take joy in our efforts and he, and he will be blessed in our obedience and, um, and in our love for one another as we share our hearts and our concerns and even our disagreements. And, but God will be in it and he will help us find our way through it. And um, so pray and listen to what the Lord is saying. And I just think that the final thing I'm reading on the back of this, you can read it later. Uh, we need to be willing to move forward. Um, those who like to move quickly need to be patient. Those who are, um, struggle to move slowly, we need to encourage them to just keep moving. And... Um, but we must in all move together, trusting that God will maintain the unity of the fellowship. So, amen. I'm going to pray. And uh, um, after I prayed, if, if you want to get those booklets out and, um, and give those out to everyone. Father, um, I just want to thank you for your great love for us and for your commitment for the church here. Lord, and I just want to pray for us as elders, for the deacons, for the 